Hello and welcome to my Caravan Industry Insights podcast. This podcast is for anyone working in the caravan industry, whether you're from a manufacturer, supplier or dealer here in the UK or elsewhere. So listen every week to hear insights, interviews and marketing tips to help keep you and your business more informed and successful. I'm John Rawlings, a journalist and communications expert with a lifelong passion for caravanning and 20 plus years PR and events experience in the car and caravan industries. From starting in the editorial team at Practical Caravan Magazine to working in the press offices at Vauxhall, Volvo and Volkswagen and now in my own business specialising in the caravan industry. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of my Caravan Industry Insights podcast. This episode is going to go out the first week of October and October means that it's NEC show, the Motorhome and Caravan show, in about two or three weeks time. So a big month for the caravan industry and we're all keeping our fingers crossed that it's a successful show. I've heard today that the tickets for the Saturday have already sold out. So that's a really good sign. I'm certainly again looking forward to being there. I'm going to be there on the Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. So if you're going to be there and want to meet up, have a chat or anything, do get in touch because it would be great to see you. I'm certainly looking forward to being there again. So let me ch- have a quick catch up about this week's episode. I've finished all my interviews from Dusseld- from the Caravan Salon in Dusseldorf now. So this week we're very firmly back in Britain and we're down in Cornwall with an interview with the owner of a, s- a small caravan dealer down there called, well, the dealer's called Atlantic Caravans and it's owned by Darren Bull and his wife. He is quite an industry veteran. He won't mind saying he uh, he explains in the interview that he's done over 30 years in the industry. And he has obviously lots and lots of sales experience, but he's been giving it all a bit more thought than that and has done a bit of research on how the brain works and read read some read up on some experts on on, on the sort of the, some of the extra skills you can use rather than the the, the usual open-ended questions to try and build empathy with with customers basically to give you that, that slight competitive edge over anyone else so I thought with the caravan show coming up, this could be quite a good time to do this. So I have a quick catch up with Darren, a quick insight into his dealership, and then he'll explain his theories on how to be a better salesperson, really, I suppose it comes down to. So here we go. You can listen to this interview and I'll catch up with you afterwards. So today's podcast guest is a caravan dealer who, after many years of experience, says he can help other caravan salespeople use some advanced sales techniques to give a more competitive edge. And with the NEC October show only a few weeks away, I thought this sounded like something really interesting and something that many people in the industry might benefit from hearing more about. So over the years, uh, He's attended many sales courses provided by manufacturers. And while these have been useful, he felt that there was maybe a bit more to it. So he's actually studied a bit of human behavior, including how the brain works, and uh, says there's a more successful approach that, uh, that he uses. So he is Darren Bull, who owns and runs a small dealership, Atlantic Caravans, near Liskyard in Cornwall. And we're going to have, I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. And I hope you are too. So hello, Darren. Hello there. Thank you for joining my Caravan Industry Insights podcast today. How's, did I pronounce Liskard in Cornwall? Uh, nearly, yeah. Uh, did it then, then, Liskard, yeah. Liskard. Yeah. It's got that rogue E in, in yeah. there. We're actually from Double Boys and that causes much more trouble than Liskard. 
<laughs> so for those that don't know Cornwall, how far are you from nearest of Plymouth? Uh, Plymouth, yeah, Plymouth about 20 minutes straight down the A38. Okay. Uh, yeah, most people know Trago Mills. We're about, about a minute and a half from Trago Mills. And lots of people know that. So are you nearer the south coast than the north coast? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's about half an hour up to the north coast. So it's, yeah, it's a good spot to be in. Ah, so you must be busy in the summer. Yes, definitely, yeah. Cool, yeah. cool. So how long have you had had that dealership? I've been here since 2010, so knocking on, well, 12, 12 years. 12 years now, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't believe it's gone so quick. But yeah, we we owned, we, we had a, a business partner and we managed to buy the business six years ago now. And then we last year we just confirmed that we've purchased the land. So it's it's gone from pretty much nothing into Brilliant. our ownership, which is, yeah, really good. That is very good. And when when did you start in industry? How long have you been in the caravan industry altogether? Oh yeah, when you said that, it was quite frightening actually. <laughs> it was uh, nineteen ninety, I think it was, into my first water pump accidentally, and uh, someone didn't know how to fit it, and I fitted it, and it's kind of from there, it's gone, you know, up to you know, was it thirty two years? It's quite hard. Uh, is about about that, yeah. Yeah, thirty two years later, and I'm still here. So uh, yeah, it's quite by accident. It? And what made you set up your own place then, dealership then? I think it was just a, a need to do it. I, I think I, I moved from Mullicott to Stoford Farm Meadows in North Devon. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and had fun with them. And then I just felt that there was nothing in this area and well, I wanted to, to give it a go. So that's that's what I did. I thought the risk of not giving it a go was, was greater than giving it a go. So that's what we did. Well done. Um, Brave. Yeah, it, yeah, it was, yeah. And give me an idea of the... Give me an idea of the size of your dealership then. Have you got how many, how many caravans could you fit on the forecourt? Well, we've just changed the forecourt around a bit. So I've got, I can fit about 25 to 30 sales caravans in. We've got a bit of a storage area for when we do servicing and things like that and for customers. So okay. it's big enough. Yeah. It's a good, it's, it's a good size. And there's, yeah. there's well, two guys in the workshop, the one that work in the workshop, and there's me and my wife, Sarah, who, who do the rest of it. So it's not a big dealership. Yeah. Um, but the good thing is, is it's it's we're in control of it, so it's it's manageable. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Okay, and you sell. And you told me that you sell some new, just one brand. Yep, we sell Sprite. Yeah, cool. uh, which I, uh, yeah, we do well with. We did sell Swift, but as the the because we're a small dealership, as the range got bigger and the prices started going up, it got a little bit scary to to have the whole range here because it put quite a lot of pressure on the business at certain times of the year and it's a bit frightening so to have sort of demonstrators of each model i suppose yeah, yeah. yeah. and then uh, and the space that would take uh, up i suppose that's the other thing is the physical space of it and so yeah we went down to just sprite and yeah it's been very good mm. and do, do you get a lot of passing trade in the summer with people on holiday and needing to come and or come in and change their van while they're away funnily enough no we don't i just thought you would it, no, we we get we, we've got a lot of seasonal sites down here. So even though a customer isn't from from the area, sometimes you've got to check that you know, you are sending to someone in the area, which I prefer to do. Right, we, we do get it. I've had it two or three times this year. But no, it's generally to local people. We we do well out of Plymouth, and obviously we've got the rest of Cornwall. So although we're a small dealership, there's not many dealers down here. So we do have a large catchment area. Well, okay. So you mainly deal with used, some more used than new, do you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's going to, how is, how's business been this year? Is it, is it obviously been a good time, but is it still good or is it easing off a bit? It's easing off, but I, I'm not sure whether that's to do with the season. Obviously, this time of year, people start thinking about, you know, packing their vans away and things like that. I, it feels to me like it's getting a little bit like 
like it was back to normal now. Right. We've been off for quite a bit of stock recently. So, you know, we were thinking of this tsunami of caravans was going to come back in from all the people that bought that were new to the, de- to the, to the industry mm-hmm. and then thought, oh, actually, I'm going to go abroad again and come back again. But I, I don't think it is that. I think there's a lot of yeah. people that have just given up naturally. Okay. So they have got quite a bit of stock at the moment. Okay. And you've got half term coming up. Will that be a little spike in uh, demand? It is. It's, it's generally people coming in for water pumps and taps broken, and all oh, right. And, yeah, that's the kind of stuff we get from the holiday makers. You know, right. You know, it's uh, crisis management. Really, they come in with a, with a problem. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, I can imagine. And so you saw lots of newcomers coming in to start caravanning for the first time. Did you in the in? post-pandemic? Well, we did, yeah. yeah. And that still seems to be the case. I'd, I'd say probably 50% of the people coming in say, oh, I've never had a caravan before, wow. I'm new to it, um, yeah. which is good. I enjoy those kind of sales because it started from scratch and it's, yeah, it's good fun. And do they go new or used mixture? No, have, yeah, mixture really. I'd say used more so because it's not such a commitment. Obviously, it's a, it's a bigger commitment when buying when buying new, because mm-hmm. uh, when you buy used, obviously you can sell it for roughly what you bought it for. Whereas obviously with with, set, with new, it's not like that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we, we're still getting quite a few people coming in that are new to it. And do you do a lot of marketing for the ship? No, I I don't because I've tried it all pretty much over the years. And I think the thing with Cornwall is everyone knows everyone. So the way we uh. do the marketing is try to do the best job we can for the customers. So word of mouth. Word of mouth, yeah. And and we do other people's warranty, which I think is a big plus mm-hmm. because you can gain a customer. I think there's no point trying to spend thousands of pounds on advertising here and there. And then a customer walks into your dealership wanting something. You know, a customer in need is a customer indeed. So, you know, they uh, if they want something and you turn them away because they didn't buy off of you, I think it's, it's quite short-sighted. So we okay. think well with that. And, and actually, I try and go over the top with those kind of customers. And help them as much as I can. That's the marketing I do. I put I put the, the the amount of money that I would probably put to marketing. I put to that. Okay. See it, see it like that, really. And not, not even a bit of local PR or no. I mean, the, <laughs> I think the biggest thing I do is is Facebook. So I'm on oh, yeah. caravan sales website, and that doesn't work too well because we're we're so far away from everyone. But what they do is they scrape your website and put it on Facebook, and that really works. Uh, yeah, I was quite excited when, when they were able to do that. I suppose um, it's, it's a bit of a commitment doing it all yourself anyway, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's good. Sometimes they stay on there a bit too long, but you still get the odd customer phoning up with a van that you've sold. But it still, again, still gets a yeah. phone call into the village. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So let's talk about sales training then. You've obviously been in the industry a long while. What what has been your experience so far? And then we'll we'll talk about your what you've, what you've been researching and developing yourself yeah so i mean the reason i i started looking into this was because i could see myself and some of my colleagues especially at the show when you're all in, we're all in together and it's quite a high tense environment yeah you, you you pick up things and and i noticed that people were doing things and i was doing things that that worked and the traditional sales were don't ask closed questions so you ask an open question so you get an open response that makes sense um, yeah which is good and it all works um, and you, you've got to know your product and you've got to know how to qualify so that's all the basic stuff and it all yeah. works and that's what i've been doing for the years 
Yeah. Um, you know, and all those things are good. But I noticed a few other things going on in the background that I thought, well, why did that work? And what happened there? And I can't understand why that customer came back to me and they didn't come back to someone else. And that got me thinking that there is more to it. And with these things, there, there is always more to it, isn't there? You know, there's there's always more to, to it bubbling away under the surface of what's going on. And I kind of, I've always been interested in psychology and, and how the brain works and that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's what kind of got me looking into it, really. And, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to be better at my job. And, and every time I went to this, what the manufacturer's called sales training, it was more product training, which, again, you need to know. Yeah. You need to know what the product is. But I was going there thinking, oh, they're going to tell us all these great things that we need to know. But I always come away being disappointed, really. And, and so I started kind of looking into it myself. Uh, so where, what, what conclusions have you come to and how much time and research have you put into this? Uh, well, actually, I was, I was thinking about it. It's, it's, it's been a long time. See, the problem is, is there's always, uh, I, I've listened to podcasts and, and audio books and you can listen to a four hour audio book and there's like two really good bits in it. Yeah. And, and I had some real wow moments and I think, crikey, that's what I do. And that's why that works. So it's taken me a lot of time to, to research it. And then kind of put together the interesting bit. And once you start down the road, it, it kind of, you know, like, you know, like it is in YouTube, it leads from one thing. To another. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You end up far down the line. And yes. Actually, like, you've forgotten what I was thinking about. But I think it started when I've, I've written a novel and I was looking into how, oh, wow. to, how to keep the, the reader interested in page turning. Yeah. And I was watching a guy on YouTube and he was talking about chemicals in the brain and the effects that dopamine and oxytocin have on, on a reader. Mm -hmm. And when he said dopamine makes you more focused, makes you more motivated, your memory improves, and the things that you remember are remembered in a more positive way. And I thought, yeah. well, that's what we want for a customer. To, you know, that, if, if a customer's got that when we're talking to them at the show, that's going to be a positive thing. Yeah. And then oxytocin, you become more generous and someone will trust you more and they bond with you. And, and again, I thought, well, that's, that's what we want the customers to have when we're talking to them. Mm -hmm. It turns out you can actually induce that in the customer by telling stories. And it sounds strange, but then I realized no. that's what I was doing. And I think that's what a lot of my colleagues do is it, it sounds strange to sell something telling a story, but you're, in, you, you're getting that, you know, those benefits from giving a customer a dopamine hit and it makes them feel good. So they remember you. So I always think you're not there to, to sell something you help someone to buy and, and that's quite a you know well-known trope if you like okay uh, that's what we even think you know the good salesmen aren't there to try and just sell you something they're there to help you to buy something that's only a key um, difference subtle difference yeah, yeah. It, it is it's like yeah. a two millimeter shift from, from yeah there. you're not just there saying you know i'll knock your price down or you know i'll, I'll, I'll better that price and that kind of thing yeah it's a different mindset that takes the pressure off the sell yeah. sell sell side of it yeah, yeah. It is. And, and that's kind of what, what got me thinking. And once I started looking at that, then I started looking at other stuff as well. So no, tell us more. This is getting interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you can, like I said, you can use, we've all got our own stories. And if you look, if you think about what stories you've got, you, you've got ones that, that can make you feel happy and make you feel sad. And that, and that is the difference between oxytocin and dopamine and things like that. I mean, this kind of stuff isn't going to change someone to, you know, from a poor, not poor salesman, but it's not, it's not going to give you an extra 10 sales at the show, but it will give you a competitive edge over someone who isn't doing it. That's how I see this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so if a customer, I had an 
I had a, something happened to me. I think this, again, is what got me started thinking about it. Uh, it was about half past four in the afternoon at one of the shows and, and it was quiet and everyone was talking to each other. And the customer walked across the stand and, and, and asked me if I could sit down because they wanted to buy a caravan. And I couldn't really remember them. I, I remember, then I remembered speaking to them at about 10 o'clock in the morning and you don't really, really get into people at that early in the show because it's not the witching hours between kind of 11 and, and half one. Right. So if you start talking to someone, then they've got so much more to do during yeah. the show. It's, it's a bit of a long shot. Okay. But then they, they came up to me and they wanted to, to sit down and they bought a caravan. And I can't remember what I did. And it turns out that they, they pretty much spoken to everyone else at the stand. But I told them a few things that they didn't know. I, didn't, I did what's called an accusation audit at the beginning. And you're supposed to tell people about the positives of buying the caravan. And I've I think I'd said something about a negative, which then the level of trust goes through the roof uh-huh. uh, because you use an accusation audit. And, and, and so they bought a caravan off of me. And I said, why, why did you buy a caravan off of me? And they said, it was because we trusted you. You weren't just trying to beat us down on price. And again, that's what kind of got me thinking about, well, I didn't know what I did. And that's why I was trying to work out. So what did you, what did you do? What, what is this audit that you talk about? How, how does that work? Well, an accusation audit is... not heard of that term before. I'm not in sales, so maybe. No. Well, to be honest, I haven't. I, and this, a lot of this is I found things that I did, but I didn't know I was doing it. And now, and, and I think a lot of the people listening will probably think the same thing. They think, well, yeah, I do that, but I didn't know what it was. And then when you know what you're doing, you can make it more efficient. And that's the difference between the sales at the show and the sales at the forecourt. I think the sales on the forecourt, you've got time to, to sit with the customer and have a cup of tea. And, you know, you might see them two or three times in the week or, or whenever. And it's, it can be a long process, but at the yeah. show, you've got like three to five minutes and then you need to move on to someone else or you need to work out that that customer is actually is going to buy. And that's where the qualification side comes in. So you still have to have the basic knowledge. Yeah. So you can use these techniques to get the maximum efficiency of, of empathy and trust and rapport in very quickly mm. and that's what these things do and and it's called there's there's a general umbrella term called tactical empathy wow and, and it sounds it, it 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 sounds great and it, it and i think it, it really works because you you're trying to build up the empathy in a customer yeah so that then you build rapport and you build trust and that's what yeah. you're supposed to do with salespeople. yeah and the tactical bit is using techniques that that use that in a, an efficient way and kind of really get to the core of what a customer wants to hear from you. So, I mean, that, that includes an accusation audit, but it, it also includes labelling, mirroring, price anchoring, storytelling, even a tactical silence. You need to know when to be quiet. Yeah. And that's, that's what tactical empathy is. So, it's, okay. so and can you give us, us an example of, if you were, of what you would actually say and how you would sort of implement this? Yeah, so... So you use all these in conjunction with each other. So tactical empathy is a deliberate influencing of someone's emotions using rules based in neuroscience. So labeling for it. Let's start with our mirroring, actually. And mirroring, I do this a lot and I didn't know I did it. But you repeat back the last three to five words of what a customer has just said. So you could say, you could say, oh, I want to buy a caravan because I got my last caravan written off. And then you say, you got your last caravan written off. 
And you, you, you say in a kind of a, a questioning type way. And what it does is it then, it doesn't, it, well, it forces the customer in to say yes and then elaborate. Right. So then you get more information from them. Yes. So you, so you can mirror the last three to five words of, or, or the important words of what they've just said. And it kind of, and then that starts to build rapport because if you're interested, if you're interested, then you're interesting. So if you, if you become interested in what a customer wants, then when you start talking, they're interested in you back. It's a kind of a, a, a rapport thing yeah. and a reciprocal thing. So, so the label, uh, sorry, the mirroring works and you could keep on doing it and, and you can do it. But it sounds a bit strange if you keep doing it. So you have to, <laughs> again, yeah. you, use it, you use it tactically. Right. And then you've got labeling. Now, labeling is, is seeing them in motion and, and repeating it back. So it's very powerful. It's, it's an, obs- an observation of the feeling of others. So when you see an emotion or something in a customer, you can, you can label it. So it starts with looks like, sounds like, feels like. So if you went in, I mean, th- this was the one that I, I struggled to, to, to actually use. I had to practice it. And then when you practice it, it becomes second nature and you start using it and you don't even realize. So when a customer goes into a caravan and, and you know, they, um, they always open up all the cupboards and look in each one for something and they don't know why, they all do it. Yeah. You feel you have to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's strange. Isn't it? But if, if you can tell that, you know, something's not right, you say, well, well it, it, it feels like you need more storage or, or it looks like you feel more, you need more storage. And so if you can see an emotion in the customer. And they might walk in there and, and they're not really getting this one. And you think, like, feels like it's not quite the caravan for you. And if you label it, then then you're reflecting their emotions back at them and they get a, a positive reaction to that. But then you then you quiet. So once you've done the label, then you, you need to use a tactical um, silence and not say anything. You don't want to chill over it. Mm-hmm. So using that in conjunction with labeling and, and mirroring, you can really get a lot of information out of a customer without having to give anything away, you seem like you're really interested when you are, mm-hmm. and, and you, can, you can really kind of work out what they want. And I say, from the customer's point of view, you're really kind of getting to the crux of what they want, and it makes them feel like that's what you're doing. So, that, so what, about, what about the people that are just looking? I mean, how can you tell if they're seriously looking to buy at the show or just there for interest does that come into your process yeah so that's yeah. so that's where the qualification comes in but let's say before you can do this stuff there's certain things you can do to disable their defense mechanisms oh yeah so our main defense mechanism is something called the amygdala there's a small part of the brain which is about the size of a walnut you've got two of them one on each side and it's kind of like the Paddington station for your thoughts. So every thought and every action that, ha- that we have goes through the amygdala and it's searching for danger. Okay. So, you know, when you, when you, when you approach a customer at the show, yeah. they, they're looking for danger because they see a salesperson coming up towards them. And you know the connotations that salespeople have. Yeah. Where as soon as you say that, you think, Arthur Daly, you think, you know, the dog who died with a mullet in the 80s is trying to sell you timeshare. Yeah, all the bad things you think. I yeah. think we've got these amazing mind tricks to get them to tie them into a 10-year finance deal and sell them something they don't want. So they're, they're very wary. And that's the amygdala working. So, but you can disable it. So the, the reason that it it's works, that it's, it's kind of really searching for danger at this 
this time is that we're so used to people scamming us at the moment. Every time you open up your phone app or anything like that, you, you know, you're yeah. looking out for scams and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, and also we've got something called the yes trap, which is people trying to get you to say yes three times to get you to say yes to the, the big thing. So, you know, it's like when you, you know, you, you pick up the phone at six o'clock in the afternoon and, and someone's trying to sell you PPI or trying to sell you whatever they're trying to sell you. Yeah. They're trying to get to say yes three times. So that then you're used to saying less and then you say yes. I think I've heard that technique. Yes. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're looking out for that. So you can disable the amygdala just by getting them to say no. Um, uh-huh. If they say no, then the, the, the activity in the amygdala drops to pretty much zero. And then what that does is it creates a clear space for, for you to move into because the defense mechanism is gone. Now, I found out about this because I think at the show when I was, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon and I fed up with asking open-ended questions. Yeah. I, I just went up to a customer and I said, do you need any help at all? Because to me, they clearly did. They were looking at something or other. And they said, no, I've oh, well, fair enough. So I stood there for four seconds and they asked me a question. And I thought, well, they just said no, they didn't want any help. <laughs> yeah. And it happened time and time again. And then the biggest wow moment I got was when I was listening to a guy called Chris Ross, who is a hostage negotiator, that's how he says it, he's in the FBI. And he, he said about this amygdala dropping once you say no. So what happened is I got up to a customer. I said, do you need any help? They said no. The activity in amygdala dropped to nothing. The defense mechanisms have gone. And then the rational part of the brain, they've gone, well, actually, I, yeah, I've got a question. And, it, and because the defense mechanism in the emotional part of the brain had disappeared, the rational part of the brain then went, yeah, I have got a question. And they asked it. And then that got into a conversation. So where we, we've been taught to say, to ask, not to ask closed-ended questions, to ask open-ended questions where you get, you know, what do you think of this caravan? Then you get a 20 minutes of, uh, of what they actually think about it, which is, can be good, but it also can be bad because then they can, you can be stuck there for 20 minutes. Yeah. There's no good and that their value range is better than ending in the, in the stand. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I can imagine it, that. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. works, but, yeah. you know, using this other technique, also works and it creates a space for the, for you to walk into one of the other guys that i that i was reading and he said that no is at the beginning of the negotiation once you get a customer to say no that's when their defenses have gone and you can really kind of you open up their mind that's how it works and so that you can use you you can use these techniques without doing that but it's kind of to me it's like wading through treacle you still have to kind of push through this defense mechanism that they've mm-hmm. got, this amygdala. They're looking for the yes trap. You know, they're looking for the hook. They, they don't trust you. You know, so what's he trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's far easier for us to say no, and we enjoy saying no. And if you can get the customer to do it, again, it gives them a dopamine hit, which is also gives you the benefits I talked about earlier. Mm. Yeah, so that, that's the crux to the advanced selling side of things and there, there also there's a lot more to it as well so you think we needed a podcast for about four hours <laughs> yeah. but when i've look around caravans at shows and the salesman comes in i think they normally ask can they can they yeah can i help you and i say no i'm just just looking because I'm, I'm not there to buy <laughs> yeah and so how they've already got me to say no but then 
I suppose, does that then open more conversation? It it does. I mean, this doesn't... Uh, or maybe they've asked the wrong question, I don't know. No, no, they no. have asked the right question, but it, it, it's, a, it's a percentage thing. So it does happen all the time. And but it, it gives you say so about thirty five percent more people will start talking to you in that way. So it's not a clear cut. This is going to work, and it's foolproof. Mm-hmm. It's just an advantage. So you can use it uh, in conjunction with everything else. Yeah, and maybe one. T- yeah, well, no, probably more than that. I think you know five times out of ten you will get a, a positive reaction. But again, it's just a, it's an advanced technique that you can use. And once you start using it or realize you're using it, like I said, you can make it more efficient. So, I mean, if you're just there looking, then then that's great. You know, you, I don't want to spend time, you know, with you yeah. if you're not there to buy. Yeah. So that's where your old school qualification comes in. Yeah. The way of being able to use your, your you know, even your original techniques and, let's say, disabling the amygdala and, and, you know, doing that, things like that. It's just a, a slight advantage you may have over, you know, someone else that doesn't do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And have you got any more examples? I mean, how do you follow on from that? Well, yeah, there's, there's lots more. So yeah. uh, there, there's there's price anchoring. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, that that's, I mean, you know, we all know what price anchoring, it, we get bombarded by it all the time. So the classic is DFS sofas or whatever it is. Now, oh, yeah. you know you know the scenario. Yeah. They'll tell you that this sofa's been on sale for £2,500, and it's now only £600. Great, yeah, look at that. Look how good that is. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, it's probably been for sale up in the Outer Hebrides for 10 minutes. You know, for <laughs> At the top price. Yeah. yeah. It's not really worth that. No. Yeah. But what the price anchoring does is if you mention a higher value mm-hmm. and then a lower value, mm-hmm. obviously the lower value is more, you know, it's a nicer figure, isn't it? So you say two and a half thousand pounds and then you say 600 pounds. Mm-hmm. 600 pounds is more acceptable because mm-hmm. you've mentioned two and a half thousand. Yes. They're not going to do it the other way. They're not nah. going to say this sofa was a hundred pounds. It's now 600 pounds because it makes the 600 pounds seem more expensive than the hundred. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Price anchoring. That's what that is. And the funny thing is, is that it works. Even if you know that it's happening to you, it still works. Um, that's why the sofa companies do it all the time. So yeah, I, they've, they've subtly put that value into your head in the first place, haven't okay, they? So you, yeah. And you'll think you're getting a, yeah. Yeah. So 600 uh, is less than two and a half thousand. And even if you so, know that, that yeah, yeah. It still, still works. Now mm-hmm. I, I did this accidentally. I, I, I do it quite, because I sell Sprite, we've got the challenges and we've got the conquerors that are above it. And when the customer says to me, oh, it hasn't got a gas barbecue point, I would say, oh, no, you, you have to go to the challenger to get that, which has got the barbecue point. But the, the Sprite now is £25,000. And then I think the challenger's 31 or 32. So I then say, well, actually, the challenger is £32,000. Or if you want to go to the, the conqueror, it's £36,000. I think to the customer, it seems like that gas barbecue point is going to cost you £4,000 or £5,000, whatever it is. But when you even when you mention that that number, twenty five thousand pounds is less. Ah, uh, yes. So, and and yes. I, I mean, I can't quantify how much difference that makes. I couldn't tell you. No. But it it does something, and it might even get you an extra couple of hundred pounds in in negotiation because they they value the twenty five thousand pounds being less. Mm-hmm. So, but, so you can't put a figure on it, but. 
it only takes two minutes to do it and, it, and it's free. You might as well try it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's how we look at that. And when you messaged me the other week, there was one message you sent, and I I just felt I had to reply straight away. Oh, yeah. and, and you said you said you'd use some technique in that, and I I want to know what it was. Could it work? Yeah. I did, it, I did instinctively think right. I won't do that later. I'm going to do that right now before. Did it, did it actually work? Then it, it did. Yeah, yeah, oh, it did. Amazing. <laughs> I, mean, I, I thought, I'm going to risk this. I said, I, I thought, I'm going to put the proof in the pudding. And I thought, I'm going to do this and see what happens. I couldn't believe it when you... you I'm a, am I a sucker or what? <laughs> no, no. No, it, it works. Well, yeah, it did. It did. It, yeah. it was very I've got powerful. I've me here. So, Have you? So, yeah. So you, I'd send you an email. It was a whole... It was a week that you hadn't replied. And I'd been meaning to reply and thought, yes, I must do that. Oh, but it needed a bit more. It needed, it needed some time to put into it. Yeah. And I... So, yeah. And, and so I so I said, um, now I'll read it out. So, hi, John, you're probably going to think I'm being pushy. And as it looks like you've been busy with the show and with your podcast, I probably am. But I wondered if it was out of the question for you to have a look at my idea for a podcast. The reason I asked is because the more I delve into the subject, the more I seem to discover and the more exciting I get. And I'd love to know if I'm on my own in this thinking. So that has got, at the beginning... You're probably going to think I'm being pushy. That's an accusation audit. That's bringing uh, that negative yeah. into the light. And when you bring a negative into the light, it reduces its power. So, uh, you, because I think I instinctively thought, oh, no, no, you're not. That's fine. Exactly it. So, yeah? you're no, thinking, bingo. No, 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 you're not. <laughs> you said no. Yeah. And, and all the stuff we talked about with the no thing, no, oh, yeah. yes is bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you say, oh, no, 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 you're not. And then I wonder if that out of the question for you to have a look at my idea. And that's a no-orientated question. Okay, so rather than can you have a look at my idea when you have to say yes, mm-hmm. and we don't like saying yes because of the yes trap, we like saying no. Oh. We, say, we say no so much easier because it puts us into a, into a safe spot. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 That's so, true. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that worked. Uh, and then, uh, my dear fathers, and then there's the because scenario. And that is really interesting. When you say the word because, it gives a reason for why you're doing something. And they did a study with people in a queue for photocopying. The two things you don't like doing is photocopying and queuing. Now, what they did is they got people to barge in to the queue and they gave a because. So the first reason was, and they said, oh, can I push into this queue because I've only got one thing to photocopy? Yeah, not a problem at all. And the hit rate was about 35% of people saying, yes, you can, or, or no, you can't. And then they did it just by saying, because I've got to do some photocopying. So they'd say, can I push into the queue because I've got to do some photocopying? And it was the same. So it was the word because that does all the heavy lifting. So the reason after it, doesn't you, you stop listening once you've heard the word because you stop listening to the actual reason and it doesn't it does a lot of work right so that's why i use the because so with those three things you've got an accusation audit you've got a a no orientating question and you've got a because and you kind of felt like you had to answer it i did yes yeah. i did <laughs> yeah i can believe it when it when it worked you got my defenses down yeah, that's, I think at that stage. Yeah, that's why I was fascinated. Yeah, and like I said, it was kind of you, you, you enjoy doing it as well because you're, you know, you're reacting to, you know, a positive thing that I've, I've asked you to do. Mm. So it's just by framing it in a different way makes it makes it more viable that you're going to do it. 
Yeah. Um, because I, I mean, I, I, obviously I don't, I'm not in a, in a, on a sales forecourt as part of my role, but, but when I, if I email somebody, either it's asking them something or I've sent them a proposal and then I want to do that follow up bit, which is the bit I always put off as long as possible because I, f- I hate the feeling yeah. of being pushy or whatever. And I guess a, a salesman would be this in the same situation if they're in a dealership following up with people. So uh, how, I mean, maybe they're just more hard nosed at it and, and get used to it. But you're saying with a clever use of, uh, questions clever questions better questions yeah you can do it without feeling oh, yeah. no you flip it from a yes orientated thing into a no orientated thing uh, so if you again people love saying no and and it's easy to do so if you can flip the question from a yes orientated to a no orientated now again this is like chris boss i mean if you're interested it, it's, it's worth having a look at he says the best thing he says, it, it, say you're being ghosted or you, you're not getting reaction that you want. You can send an email and said, have you given up on X or Y? Now that then gets you to say, well, no, no, I haven't given up. So again, it's a no orientated question that you're trying to get them to, to say. Now, I didn't, I didn't use that with you because I think it's a little bit harsh. I think that's more in the kind of the corporate business side of things when you're B2B selling and you're, you know, you're, you're in a mix with lots of other people. But yeah, if you can if you can flip flip the the, the questions from yes orientated to no orientated, it gets a reaction from whoever you're trying to do it to. Yeah, interesting. I'm gonna have to give that definitely give that some thought. Yeah. What, what was this guy, Chris? What was his surname? Yeah, Chris Ross. He's a he's a hostage negotiator and he worked for the FBI and he's a, he's a, the guy I get a lot of this stuff from. Yeah, he's he's really good. And I mean obviously the the, the oh, for, a lot Chris Chris Ross. Boss, V-O-S-S. I yeah, found him on Google. Yeah. I'll put yeah. a link in, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's really good. Obviously the stakes were a bit higher when he when you're dealing with, you know, yeah. bad yes. people. But yes. the, you know, they transferred those skills into this. Yeah, thankfully we're not dealing with a life and death situation. No, no, no. <laughs> no. But like I said, it, I, I realized that, you know, I was doing this stuff and I, again I realized a lot of my colleagues were doing this stuff, but just pointing it out means you can, you know, like I said, you can really make it more efficient. And that's where the tactical bit comes in. You use it. If you know you're doing it and you know how to do it, you can use it tactically and, and kind of, you know, really maximise its effect. And like I said, especially in the show environment, because you haven't got very long to, to get that across. Mm, mm. So yeah, let's go back to that show environment and remind me what sort of steps you take then with, with this, you, well, your first, you're trying to get a no question first of yeah. all. Yeah. Again, it's just disabling the, the defense mechanisms mm. is to try and get a, a no in there somehow. Now it can be, again, a, a no orientated question does the same thing. So, I mean, it sounds strange when you do some of these things, but the customers don't notice. That's the funny thing about it. So you could say, is it a ridiculous idea for me to offer you some assistance? Now, it's a long-winded way of doing it, and there's probably better ways of saying it, and, and it's up to, you know, people are listening to go, actually, yeah, I could, you know, what I normally say, you can flip it to a no-orientated question, mm-hmm. but then they'll say, oh, no, no, that's fine. Yeah, you know, yeah, I need help doing this, or I need help doing that. So is it a ridiculous idea I can offer you some assistance? Yeah, rather than saying, can I help you? And then they're going to say yes or no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, they will. You'll get a no like that, but you'll probably definitely, the chances are that you'll get uh, the percentage hit rate of getting a no with that kind of question is higher. Um, So again, it's not always going to work 100%. Yeah. And it feels odd doing that. 
And and you, you know, people might listen to this and think, oh, I'm not going to bother doing that. But you know, it's that's where the competitive edge is. And I think when you combine all these things together, then then it gives you that edge over someone. You know, because don't forget, you're they're, they're going to leave you and they're going to turn into a bee vat half the time, and then they're going to go around to everyone else, and they're not. They perhaps they're going to get oh I'll beat that price or you know what do you want to buy then they're not going to get this level of, of kind of connection with other other sales people. I mean the problem is if everyone starts doing this then. Yeah, yeah. I know. So I was wondering that, thinking, why are you telling everyone? Yeah, I don't know. When, when you ask me that question, I thought, I have no idea why I'm doing that. And, well, you um, should maybe publish a book and be selling it, selling this information. Yeah, yeah. No, or at least. I don't know. I think, I think ultimately I'd like to, to go into training or something like that. It would be good. If, if, you know, if, if, or if it, if, it, if it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't really matter. It's just good fun. Yeah, well. The, the one thing I haven't said is we love telling people what we know. We, yeah, and so this is exactly what I'm doing. Is It's good fun. It's interesting. And you love important information to someone else that could potentially help them. I mean, it'd be great if someone actually did something like this and came up to you and said, yeah, actually, that really worked. That's all we're really, you know, after, you know, after uh, doing it for, really. Mm. And how how does it work on you? Have you noticed oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> people talking to you and asking? Honestly, that that's the biggest thing is when you start knowing what these things are, you see it all over the place. Uh-huh. Now, an accusation audit. It sounds big and posh, but it's like the end of Eight Mile when Eminem comes up and he, he you know he tells the his opponent rapper all the bad things about himself which he knows that opponent rapper is going to then, you know, was, was going to tell him. Then the opponent that he's, he's having a rap battle against has got absolutely nowhere to go. Um. So with an accusation audit, <laughs> if you bring out a negative, it, it, it stops the, 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 your opponent or your you know, counterpart using it against you. They can't bring it out. It, it takes the power away from it. Now, a customer came in the other day and it was Saturday afternoon and it was hot and I was bothered and I'd had a long day and I was going out in the evening and I was just backing up and this customer came in and he's a lovely fella, but he's one of those customers that you know is going to be there for ages. He'll take 10 minutes telling you something you could told you in three seconds, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and he did it to me. He said, uh, it, was, it was classic. He said, I expect I'm the last person that you want to see <laughs> five to five on a Saturday afternoon. And that is exactly what I was thinking. That's an activation audit. And, and of course, what did I say? I said, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. Come in yeah. you know, uh, and let's talk about what you wanted to talk about. If he hadn't have said that, I'd be stood there thinking, oh, fuck, you know, I, I, I want this guy to go. But because he'd done an accusation audit on me, yeah. it, took, it brought it out into the light and it took it from a 10 that, you know, down to a, a four or three. Uh-huh. But it, uh-huh. it, it still felt like that, but mm-hmm. nowhere near as potent. Right. You know, so, and, and I, I was giggling. And he, and he, said, <laughs> he said, what's the matter? I said, oh, don't worry about it, because uh-huh. I'd noticed what he'd done. Yeah. Uh, so you'll see it, you know, once you know these things, you, you'll see it everywhere. It's, it's strange. Wow. I must say, when, when you first contacted me, I thought, well, he must have a book that he's, he's wanting to promote. But no, you're just wanting to share. Oh, yeah, it's just good fun. And and I don't know. Like I say, it, it, it's, it's, it's lots of different areas into one thing. Mm. You've got a guy called Robert Cialdini as well. He's done a book on pre-suasion. Actually, that's, that is, again, it's all really interesting. This, this pre-suasion I've used and I didn't 
I didn't know I'd used it. Now, with what's been going on in the industry, we know that we've had a shortage of stock and we know that we can sell caravans pretty easily. Now, I've got, I've had customers come in and pretty much tell me that and say, oh, I expect your stock's low and I expect your, you know, you haven't got many caravans to sell. And I said, yes, we've only got a small amount of new caravans to sell. So unfortunately, we're not, un we're not able to knock any money off because we've only got a small amount of you know, stock that we have to you know, make profit on. But that is what he was calling a pre-swaging. So you've, if, you, if you start to sell a customer caravan, obviously they're going to ask for money off. And, and that, that's further down the line. They're going to say, oh, oh what can you knock off or, or something like that? And you, you know that's where it's going to go because they always, they always say that. They've done the time immemorial. So when I have already told them in a safe environment that isn't, isn't you know, trying to go against what they want you to do, they then say, and I had this the other day, they said, oh, I don't suppose you can knock any money off then. And, and I said, well, no, because I'd already told them in a, in a safe environment about two hours before that, that I can't do it. So you can kind of set, the, set your stall out early on in a non-confrontational environment, uh, yeah. pre-suasion. Yeah. And it's been easy recently because, I mean, I, I would have thought people listening have, have, have had that, you know, because it's been in the media, it's been in the press that we were running out of caravans and there's not enough available. And so I, I did that without knowing it. And then I, you know, when I got to the negotiation, it wasn't even a question. They didn't even ask for any money off. And they told me that I couldn't knock any money off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I'd pre-swaded it earlier on in the in the conversation. So again, all, all these things you can think how to do them, and, and there might be people out there who've got far better ways of doing it than I have. But you've got to start thinking about how to do it. So I mean, empathy definitely makes makes a huge difference. I've I mean, I've worked in the car industry for fifteen years, and I know that we can do all the PR and marketing we want to get people to walk into that showroom and you know, foot footfall getting them in there. But if they walk in there and don't get a good experience, it's all gone to waste. And yes, I think that well, apart from customer service, that that getting that empathy with the customer. I said it worked for myself. We went we bought a last time we bought um changed our car. We went to look at one car and ended up buying a completely different one yeah. because it was a multi-brand showroom. And to be honest, we just didn't click with the first salesperson. And the next one, just whether he was using this technique or not, I don't know. But well, he, he, we just felt more relaxed and yeah. And we ended up buying a car we didn't initially have on our shortlist at all. <laughs> and that's that's because now we we all think that we buy rationally that we have a we get all the information and we we put it all into our minds and we make a rational decision based on logic. Yeah. So you look at all you look at your you know all your specs and your, your prices and all this kind of stuff and then we we, we then buy on a, making a logical decision but we don't what we do is we buy with emotion and we justify we, with logic. We yeah, and we then, definitely buy with emotion. The definitely yeah. when, when it comes down to at the at the end, you, yeah, yeah, and and then we then use we justify with logic, but we use confirmation bias to do that. So I mean, I've got a Ducati eleven ninety eight, and I've used some very dubious logic to justify <laughs> it. So I mean, there's no reason for having one. It just looks amazing, and I thought, you know, oh yeah, I've got to buy it because I can go and look at a caravan, which I did do in some of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's no, it's 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 all emotional, and that's that's the the good thing about this tactical empathy is when you realise that it's an emotional connection that we have with either a product or a customer, sorry, a, a salesperson, 
then that's when you can influence that those emotions using tactical empathy. You can you can try and argue with, with logic, but I I think that's why politicians don't get anywhere because you know they're so emotionally tied up with hating each other that the the other people can have you know a perfectly good you know a, a reason a really good logical way a reason for doing something but then the other guys just don't like them so it doesn't matter if it's brilliant they just can't get over that emotional yes eye that they've got with with, with hating each other yes you know? so I know what I mean yeah, yeah mm. that's why I think it fails. Well, okay. Is there anything else you want to add? I'm conscious of your time and I've been chatting for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. That's, no, that's uh, good. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's covered everything. Yeah, the middle of the emotions. So, shall we, would it be useful to summarise it going through the, the what was it? I've, I've forgotten all the terminology that you, yeah, you've used. Yeah. You've got the, the something audit. Yeah. So, that, so you've got tactical empathy, which is the, the umbrella term for the whole lot, really, is using, yeah. using these techniques in a tactical way. Yeah. So you got you got a mirroring, which you repeat the last three to five words of the customers, whatever they said, or a wife. I've, I've one thing to say is that it gets me out of trouble. Something if I've not paid attention to, to my wife and I've not listened, and, the, and then I heard the last three words, I repeat that, and then she elaborates, and it doesn't sound like I've, I wasn't. <laughs> I'll so, remember that. <laughs> yeah, so it was really good. So mirroring, labeling, which is reflecting back an emotion when you've noticed it using sounds like, looks like, feels like. And then you've got price anchoring, which, which you know, we said about with the, the, the different prices. Accusation audit. Actually, just to say, I think the one thing that I do all the time with an accusation audit, especially at the show, and I don't think other people do it, is because I'm down in Cornwall and say I'm speaking to someone in Essex, I will say, I will tell them that if they buy off of me, there may be a problem when they take it into their local dealer, they might not do the warranty because they didn't buy it off of them. So I've given them a massive negative that is a real reason not to buy off of me. Mm. And and it's true. Now, um, now what I don't want to do is get four hours down the line and then we sat down, which I've done you know, plenty of times, yeah. and you're talking about price. And then they go, all right, right, okay. So what about warranty? Can I take it to my local dealer? And then I'm like, oh, crikey, yeah, that's just scuppered the whole lot because nine yeah. times out of ten they can't because most, you know, a lot of dealers aren't as proactive as I am with, with uh, dealing with other people's warranty. Mm. So that accusation audit, I get that in early because if it is a big problem, I don't want to waste four hours with someone, yeah. you know, when it's a problem. Yeah. But what it does then do is if it isn't a problem, say they have a local guy who isn't a dealer that they deal with, that accusation audit has built my trust level through the roof. And then if they then go through and, and speak to X amount of other dealers around the country and they don't mention that, they've got that piece of information that I've given them and they go, well, how come he didn't tell me that? He didn't tell me about the, the, the servicing uh, yeah. and the warranty. Yeah. And it puts a little bit of doubt in their mind. And I, and I think that's where I get you know the repeat custom or, or it, again, it will give you a competitive edge over the people that aren't doing that kind of thing. So it's using a negative in a positive way. And and either way, it's going to benefit you because you're going to, A, find out early on if it is an issue. And if it isn't an issue, it's going to make you look great. So, so that's... That's the accusation audit I actually use a lot. And then the storytelling, getting the right chemicals into the brain. Now, if we had more time, I could actually create an dopamine effect in you. And and uh, that that takes quite a while to do. Uh, how long? Um, how long? Not, not too long. 
You can have a go if you want. We can, we, we can always edit something else. Oh, I have to so keep it to, can't to, me, yeah. to a certain time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, let me, let me get this out. Where's my brain chemicals? I did so, go to a presentation by, it was Ruby Wax, actually. She's done a lot of studying of the brain around mindfulness. And, well, she's come from a, a, a mental health perspective as well. But she did a talk at a, a locally and we went to, and she did talk about the different parts of the brain, which is where I heard the term amygdala from yeah. uh, and yeah. how is that flight flight response mechanism yeah. that's in there that's yeah. constantly on guard well yeah. it is and, and it's, it's it's active in the customers when we're walking around mm-hmm. and if you want to know what it feels like all you've got to do is walk through a graveyard at night that thing that makes you want to leg it that yeah. is that is your amygdala because it's listening for danger all over the place. And every little twig you hear crack, you're thinking, oh, there's, you know, there's an action murderer going to get me. That's the amygdala working <laughs> yeah. absolutely flat out. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can actually yeah, give you a dopamine. And don't forget, it, it makes you more focused, more motivated, your memory improves, and you remember things in a positive way. Now, I've got, I've got the name of the guy that does this much better than I do on YouTube. It's called a guy from uh, David J. Dean. JT Phillips. He's the guy I got it off and, and he's yeah, he's he's Scandinavian, he does it very well. So he he's the guy that is, is telling stories and getting the right chemicals in the brain. Okay, I'm making note. I'll add this to the show notes. Yeah. So yeah, he's very good when I look at I mean I I can do it, it'd probably be a poor poor version of it, but I can give it a go. Sounds um, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, right. So I was, I was leaving Malacott to go to Stoford and I, there was a job interview going at a, another local caravan place and they wanted someone to head up the sales. And I happened to know them. So the, the day of the interview came, so I parked up and I'm walking across the, the forecourt. And what I didn't know at the time was I was heading into probably the worst 20 minutes of my life. Wow. I didn't know that at the time. So it was fine. I wasn't worried about it then. So I was walking yeah. across, well, you know, I was nervous. Yeah. So I went in and I happened to know the receptionist because I dealt with them from Malacott. They ordered some parts of them. And she said, oh, hello, Darren. I said, oh. So she, she said, well, I'll sit down. They'll be with you in a minute. So I, this is the first job interview I'd, I'd ever done. So I was nervous. And I sat there reading the, the newspaper, but it wasn't waiting for my turn. And the door to my right flung open and this guy came out and he was white as a sheep. And, and he looked at me and there's, there's a look of sheer horror in his eyes. And, and he just shook his head and walked out. I was going, I'm cracking what's going on there. And the door closed off to him. And I looked at the receptionist and, and, she, and I walked over and said, well, what's going on? Because oh, I said, it's awful at the moment. I said, the management have, have actually started to employ people. And the boss doesn't like the fact that they've been, been employing people, employing too many people. So he's come down to oversee it. Now, the job interview that you're going for, he doesn't want anyone to have it <laughs> right. right so so he's there and he's basically she said he's scuppering all these all these interviews so he's going he's, he's ex-military and he's going really hard on these candidates and and that's a third person to come out i'm like crikey so, so i was nervous and and it got you know obviously my anxiety went through the roof i nearly ran out the doors and i don't want to do this yeah so i could feel i felt my palms going sweaty you know my anxiety was and then the phone rang, uh, the apprentice style, oh, send the next candidate in. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound good. And, um, so I was walking across the, the floor and every step I took sounded like, yeah, it felt like I was walking through concrete. I mean, yeah, this door was only 10 foot away, but it was the longest walk of my life. Yeah. 
so I walked over and I put, put my hand on the on the doorknob and I was just about to turn it. And the reception said, oh, Darren, hang on, come here. And and I turned around and I was, I was thinking, oh, she's going to come up with this marvellous, you know, way of me going in there and, and, and winning the, the, uh, the argument and getting a job and all this one thing. So I walked over to her and, and she beckoned down and, and she was kind of whispering my ear. And I don't know whether she was a sadomasochist or just downright stupid. But she said the following. Tune in next week to find out. Uh, <laughs> Left me suspense. It, it's a cliffhanger. Yeah. It's dopamine. Uh, so you'll remember the, the scene because yeah. don't forget your, your memories in, increased. You remember it in a positive way. And you're more focused, you're more motivated. So that dopamine hit has done all those things. And that's a, that's a fairly heavy, sustained version of that. Yeah. But if you use kind of a cliffhanger yeah. story, it, it, it gets you focused. And, and again, in a show environment, that could be the difference between them remembering you and then not remembering someone else who doesn't do that. Right, right, okay. So are you going to tell us this, the outcome? Was that a true story? No, no, it wasn't a true story. No. Oh. <laughs> I did go for an interview, but no, that, that didn't happen. So, you uh-huh. know, but it's a, it's a cliffhanger story. Yeah. So how would you do that on the show environment then with a, with a customer? You can't, how would you, what well, sort of, no, 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 not the same story, but what, what no. is that, how would you try? Well, well that's, sh- that's where you search your stories. Mm. So any story creates a dopamine effect. It, I mean, that's that's a sustained one. You don't have to go to a, a mass, massive cliffhanger. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. they do at EastEnders, isn't it? The doof stuffs. Yeah. Um, and they always they always feel that just before an ad break, yes. they give you a cliffhanger, and that's a dopamine wanting you to, you know, you get yeah. motivated to go through the ads. Yeah. So any storytelling creates a dopamine effect. So you can, again, it, it can be a story of, of how a manufacturer has gone through the process of creating their construction method, anything like that. So if you use stories mm. to captivate an, in, an, an interested customer, uh-huh. then it's giving this dopamine effect where they're more focused, they're motivated, and their memory improves. Now, you don't want to, to do it too much because it's not about you, it's about the customer. So you have to use things again tactically. And if you if you search your memory base of stories, I mean we've all got them, especially if you've been doing it for a long time in the caravan industry, you know, you'll have a story that fits in certain ways. And, and then what you have to do is look out for when that's appropriate. So it has to be in context. Mm-hmm. So you can't just tell that story if you know this if there's no context to it. So that that's a dopamine. I mean there is there is an oxytocin one, but it's it's oxytocin makes you more generous. It makes them trust you, and it makes them fond to you. Now, oxytocin it, it's, it's a harder thing to get into a customer. I mean, I, I can do that if you want. It's up to you. Uh, why not? That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. This this is uh, this is <laughs> going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. So remember, oxytocin makes you more generous. They'll trust you more and they will bond to you. Right, so here we go. So it's about, well, my daughter, she's 24 now. It was when she was seven, I think. We found out, me and my wife, she was, she was pregnant. And so Alea was going to have a, a brother or sister. Of course, she wanted a sister to play with. So she was very excited. She was yeah, picking out uh, colours for the nursery. And she even went through her little toys to, to she found her a little fluffy duck. 
that she put on a pillow to wait for her to come with this kind of... Of course, she wanted a sister to flavor. She didn't want to worry about a brother. Anyway, next, the second scan came along. I went to the hospital. And, and Sarah was on the, on the bench and looking at the monitor at her end, and we were looking at the monitor at this end. And the nurse put her, you know, put a thing on that, you know, put yeah. stuff on, you know. Yeah. And she was looking around, and I could see the image come up. And, and I thought at the time, I thought, she'd taken a, a bit of a while finding, you know, finding what she was doing. And then I saw a look in her eyes, and I thought, oh, this isn't good. Mm. And, and there was a moment where I realised what happened. And she looked at me, and I looked at her. And then I looked at Sarah. And, and, and I wanted that moment to freeze. I, I didn't want anything more to happen. I didn't want to have to tell her what I thought I knew. I wanted to protect her. I mean, it was only a fraction of a second, but it, I mean, it, it seemed like an hour. And then the nurse said, I'm sorry, I've got some bad news. I'm going to have to get the doctor. It was all a bit of a blur after that. Turns out there was no heartbeat and we'd lost the baby. Wow. And, and it was a bit of a blur all the way home was, was, was horrendous. And then yeah. I thought, oh, I've got to tell Alea oh, yeah. Yeah. about this. And, and so I got, you know, we got home and, and, and I told Alea and, you know, it, I mean, it was, it was horrible. And, and now you've got lots of oxytocin running through your body because it's a sad story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I've imparted a, you know, something like that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a sustained hit. You, you don't really want to go that far. <laughs> yeah. But you become more generous. You will trust me more because I've imparted a, you know, a sad story towards you and you are bond with me. So that's, that's what that is. But I mean, the good news is, is that about 18 months later, she got her sister. And I think after about, about six months, she wanted her to go back again because <laughs> obviously she didn't, you know, she had the crying and the nappies and the smell and everything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she kind of, after about six months, she, she, lost, she lost. The novelty wore off. The novelty wore off. Yeah. Oh. So, so that's oxytocin. Now I, I have used it oxytocin effect not that because i think you'd be an emotional wreck after you know, doing that old day at the show yeah yeah but it, it's just a story of loss and actually i've used it i do use it quite a lot and i didn't realize i was doing it because there was when once people start talking about hitch locks and they talk about hitch assemblies and things like that the aks stabilizers they'll ask me you know, do i need a hitch lock or you know i've got a hitch lock will it fit and is it important and and i tell them well actually i had 17 hitch locks, a hitch assembly stolen from my forecourt last Christmas, well, the Christmas before actually. And, and it's a story of loss. And every time I tell it, it you know, it's really annoying. And it's, it is a story of, of losing something and feeling annoyed about it. So I had, you know, three or four guys obviously come in and they must have, I live on the premises, so I'm overlooking the forecourt. And they must have been down there three or four hours unbolting all my hitch assemblies, chucking them over the wall and running off with them. And they're probably on eBay. Um, so that, that does do the uh, toasting effect because um, it's a story of loss, but it's not yeah. so bad as the one I told you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it still has the same effect. So again, they people become more generous, they trust you more, and they will bond with you if you impart to them the story of loss. Right. And and again, the good thing is is you you can't do anything about it. It it happens and it's there. Mm-hmm. And and it's and with the storytelling side of things, it's down to the individual to have those stories kind of in the back of their mind. And again, use them tactically when the when the you know, occasion arises. And it, and it's uh, say it's not going to sell you a caravan, but it's going to give you a competitive edge over someone who isn't doing this stuff. Right. And that's yeah. why I kind of called it advanced sales. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> well, don't, I don't. I don't know. If that's a bit too harsh. <laughs> 
Well, there's a lot to this. Uh, this is what makes the difference between a good, a more successful salesperson than, than the next person, really. It's just using the... I think so, yeah. And, and, and as I've said, it's a lot of the people that will probably listen to this, they do it already and they'll recognise a lot of it. And that's what happened to me. It is, it's like, well, yeah, I do that. I didn't know why it worked. And then you see, you can make it more efficient. And it, it's interesting more than anything else. I, mm. I think so. I'm fascinated by, by it. Yeah, it is um, interesting. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to the show in October in a few weeks. And, and I'll certainly be trying these things out and seeing what works and what doesn't. But I say it, it could just give you a, just that edge over someone else who doesn't do it. Is if, if they walk into, if, if, they, if the customer walks off and goes to another dealer and they just say, right, what's the price? I'll beat it. And they haven't told you about the, you know, the issue with warranty and things like that. And they haven't done this and they haven't created a bond with you. I've certainly had customers come back to me after seeing, you know, how many other salesperson people and said, we want to buy for you because we, we really trust what you say. And I think that makes you know, a hell of a difference. And they've remembered you as well. Yeah, they um, remember. In a sea of salespeople, they yeah, remember you. Yeah. You know, because they, I mean, it's mind boggling. I, I mean, I feel sorry for the customers walking in there with us lot staring at them because <laughs> you know, we all look fairly similar. We've all got a cheeky smile, we're all saying the same thing. And to stand out in the crowd of, I mean, there's Absolutely. 50 or 60 guys just on the Swift stand. Yeah, and you've got everyone else. Yeah, you know. So if you could create a lasting impression of the customer using these techniques, yeah, it'd be up to the to the listener to you know try and work out their own way of doing it or not. You know, yeah, like you can yeah. carry on without using. It, you know, yeah. So having done all having done all that, do you get customers from other parts of the country that just buy from you, decide to buy from you, and have to come back to you for servicing and warranting? I, I do, but. Having said that, because we haven't been to the shows for the last couple of years, obviously that's kind of waning uh-huh. a little bit. And I don't like doing it. I, I, I prefer to have a customer local to me yeah. because I feel personally responsible for their caravan. When I, I, I just spoke to a customer yesterday and they're further down west and they've got a problem with a, a Skylight track. You see that caravan as being my caravan because more often than not, I get the opportunity to buy it back, especially down in Cornwall, because there's not many down, not many people down here. Oh yeah. So the better I look after that caravan, the better it comes into me. Uh, okay. Yeah. And that's how I view everything. Yeah. So I view it as if it's my caravan. So I kind of go over the top, thinking, well, if I do, you know, they're paying for it now, or the warranty's paying for it now. I'd rather have that done than when they try and sell it to me. I've got to then fix it. Yes. So if a customer, I have had it, I have had occasions where someone has been in Essex and they've had a trouble and, and I, I feel bad about it. So I, I try not to do it. I, I prefer to, to sell locally just because it's a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Again, unless the customer's happy to do it, if they, if they have got someone that they deal with and they're happy to, to deal with it and that's fine. Right. Yeah. But I mean, mostly, most of the time you're at your own. At your own dealership, aren't you? So the the show the shows don't come along that often. No, so they don't. No, most of the time you've got people walking in and they're local people. Yeah, yeah. Which is again, which is yeah. is really good because they um, a lot of people know a lot of lot of different people. So, but if you do a good job, then they tell other people. So that's the most important thing. Yeah, in Cornwall, you'll say everyone. You've got to be careful what you say sometimes because it's a big old family down here. So. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Well, I love Cornwall. I, I, if I don't see you at the show, I'll definitely come see you when I'm down in yeah. Cornwall. And next time should probably be next time. So uh, we probably ought to wrap it up. But I've got some fun, some fun questions to finish yeah. with that I ask everyone. Yeah. If you could take a caravan or a motorhome anywhere in, on holiday anywhere in the world, where would you like to go? I would probably take a motorhome. 
which I don't sell motorhomes, but I think it would it would suit it better. Yeah. I'd like to follow the MotoGP around the world. Oh, because you're into all that, aren't I'm you? Into that, yeah, I'm into that, yeah. And so I think yeah. that would be great, a great adventure to go all the different places with a motorhome and, and, and follow the MotoGP around. I think that would be great. Uh, so where do you go on holiday if you live in Cornwall? We go abroad, so it's the only time we can do it is, is in in December when it's quiet because obviously it's our business. So oh, yeah. We, yeah, yeah. we go away, we pretty yeah. much have to shut. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to Mexico this year. Nice, nice, yeah. nice, nice, very nice. And if you had a magic wand, what would you wish for to benefit the caravan industry as a whole? To carry on with what's happened in the last two years without a pandemic. So I'd like to for the, the the need for caravans to be as high as it has been over the last two years. Mm. If we could sustain that, then we would know what's happened. Now, I'm not sure whether it's going to carry on into next year or not. What I have learned, what's happened last year has got absolutely no bearing at all on what's going to happen next year. So the last two years have been great. Uh-huh. Whether it carries on, I don't know. So I would like, if I had a magic wand, I'd like this this the, the demand to stay as high as it has been over the last two years. And the level Okay, so the level of interest in Karen, yeah. that that would be cool, couldn't wouldn't it? And w- yeah. what do you like? What do you like most about working in the industry? What's kept you in the caravan industry for so long? I think it's well, I I don't know what else I would have done to be honest. So I think on, on a personal, a completely personal level, it's the ability to earn some money. I'm not very good at any other things, so the caravan industry has given me an opportunity to kind of play to my strengths, which seem to be helping people, selling things, and it's given me the opportunity to run my own business. What would have happened if I didn't go into the car industry, I don't know. But <laughs> And it's also, it's that one time where you help someone out and they say thanks. It doesn't happen that often, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. But yeah, that, that really makes the difference. You know, when you've had that horrible day and, and it's problem after problem and someone at the end of the day says, oh, thanks, I really appreciated that. That is that's gold to me. That's cool. That yeah, that's my day. Yeah. Well, they get a lot. Of, they get a lot of pleasure out of using the yeah the, the caravan at the end of the day. So you're yeah. facilitating that, I suppose, aren't you? That's true. Yeah. And if you could have a barbecue on a campsite with three people, well known, dead or alive, who would you invite? Yeah, this is, this is a good one. Right, first one would be Brian Cox. Oh. Yeah, because you can look up into the sky and see the billions and billions of stars. <laughs> uh, and, then, yeah. and also, I went to see him on Sunday, and I uh. didn't understand 95% of it, so he could probably go through it again. Black, black holes <laughs> and stuff, I'm right? really interested yeah. in that kind of stuff. So yeah, Brian Cox would be great. Yeah. The second one would be Kurt Cobain with his guitar, so he could do Nirvana Unplugged around the campfire. Oh, I cool. Mean, I mean, how cool would that be? Yeah, it would be very cool. Amazing, very cool. Wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Cool chap. So, yeah, him. Yeah. And then to throw a bit of anarchy into it, Ben Ryden from Sex Pistols, because oh. I, I think you don't know where it would go after that, do you? I mean, <laughs> you had John Ryden around the campfire with Kurt Cobain and Brian Cox. Who knows what happened? He does some amazing stories. That is a curious mix. What an interesting collection. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, okay, last question. Uh, Caravan or Motown, what would be your first choice for a holiday? Well, it's part of my sales thing. It it depends what I was going to do. Obviously, if I was going to follow the GP, it would be the Motown because it's geared up for that. Yeah. But... I think a caravan, if I was in the UK, because you can go places and you can stay there and you can, you can do the area. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think they, they both have their merits and it's, it's, it's hard to choose, isn't it? But I think yeah. depending what I was doing, I'd, I'd probably, I'll go motor if I was going to Europe because I think it's geared up for it a little bit more. 
and staying in the UK, it'll be a, it'll definitely be a caravan. Okay, cool. Okay. So, and um, what are your what are your contact details? Then your website is AtlanticCaravans.co.uk. Yeah, Atlantic Caravans. Yeah. You, you're um, on Facebook. Did you say? Or is it just? I, yeah, I just search for Atlantic Caravans on anything. I've got a YouTube channel actually. I'm aiming towards the, the thousand subscribers on that. That's not, um, not that's bad. More, yeah, that's pretty good. It's more geared towards the customer side of things, uh, yeah. how things work. Having said that, I've got a few colleagues of mine that use it. And my website is also geared towards information rather than selling as well. I'm actually just starting to build a new one. And so the website, yeah, we're on, I'm on Instagram. Just basically it's easy these days, and it was typing in London Caravans and kind of come up. Or email Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N, at atlantacaravans.co.uk. Brilliant. And then that's me, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you really much. Thank you so much for all your time and your insights. I'll, uh, I'll definitely come and look you up at the at the NEC show. Yeah. See if you can sell me a Sprite. Yeah. That'd be quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> I could use my, my, my mind. My yeah. Mind yeah. I better leave my checkbook at home oh, <laughs> or my credit card at home. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Darren, thank you very, very much. No problem. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Darren. It's quite a long interview this week. I hope, that, I hope you're still still tuned. I'll keep this brief because you've probably got another podcast to listen to now. But I, that was quite, I thought it was very interesting, actually. And obviously something I need to pay, maybe pay attention to in my own conversations with people sometime and messaging, etc. So quite fascinating so that's it for episode 14 but next week in episode 15 we're also back in the uk and this time talking to the owner of a smallish caravan site up in cheshire to hear all about the ins and outs ups and downs of running a campsite in today's climate especially with rising costs of well, everything, basically, not just utilities. So that's a really interesting interview to look forward to next week. So that's all for now. I will speak to you very soon. Thank you for listening and please subscribe. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it and would really appreciate it if you could share it with as many people as possible. Even better, please give me a five-star review in iTunes. It'd be a great help. If you'd like me to interview you, want to suggest someone to interview, or interested in sponsoring this podcast, or want to get in touch with me for any reason, please drop me a line at john at rawlingscommunications.com or message me on Instagram at rawlings underscore comms. Thanks very much. Bye for now.